Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 49, entitled Dance with Death, in which I'll be examining issue number 41. Please stay tuned. So before we dive into the comic, as usual, let's talk momentarily about our creative team on this issue. And for this issue, we have Chris Claremont obviously doing the writing, and Jackson Geis is doing the breakdowns, finishing as Terry Austin. And these two are a great team. Their art is fantastic. Uh, this issue is great and wonderful. Jackson Geis, he's uh, done quite a bit of work um, in the X-Men corner. Uh, he, he'll work later on X-Factor. I think I mentioned that last uh, issue episode as well. Um, Terry Austin, he's also uh, a fantastic fantastic artist in his own right and he he works has he's done plenty of work uh in the x-men arena um anyways these two paired together seem to work very well uh tom orzacheski's back for letters we have glynis oliver doing colors we have ann nascenti as our line editor still and jim shooter is the editor-in-chief at marvel at this point so that's the creative team really it's not changed all that much um and that makes for a really consistent product coming out really strong comic coming you know that we're we're able that that comes out due to the creative team i would argue so for any of you who have listened to this podcast for any length of time um have probably heard at some point or another that my favorite character possibly even X-Men character, is Danny Moonstar, uh, Mirage. She She's fantastic. I really like her character. And this issue, issue 41, uh, The New Mutants, Mirage versus De- Death Showdown, um, that's our cover. It, the title of this issue is Way of the Warrior. This whole issue is a one-shot, and it's all about Danny. It's about Danny's trip home. Remember, uh, when Xavier had sent The New Mutants to to go to mass uh the massachusetts academy and study under the white queen um danny she had been snapped out of out of out of her days her apathetic state her condition that she was suffering from and uh that was due to the fact that she had had a visit of thor and thor had been turned into a frog by loki he'd he'd visited her and this had kind of pulled her out of it and she had fought to try to keep the new mutants at Xavier's Institute. And when he, when, when they were sent to the Massachusetts Academy, she, she was unwilling to go. And instead she went home. And, uh, this is what this, this issue covers her time at home with her family. And it's, it's a pretty good issue. It's a good amount of Danny backstory um as as you might have guessed um this has a lot to do with Danny's past and and we get to learn about what and how Danny's powers first manifested and that's what this issue is going to really focus on and it's going to have some um other tidbits that we're going to get to really examine in depth so our cover here we have Danny and she's pulling uh two pistols she she's got like two Colt revolvers um she's looks as though she's in a uh, a shootout with with this cowboy and the cowboy is a skeleton so it's a death a vision of death and he and and the vision of death has pulled both of its revolvers and is firing at danny returning fire at her on the cover so you know it is definitely a takes place in Colorado out west and it's got western themes and western motifs and uh we're going to see a lot of that played up here in this issue um yeah so let's let's just let's stop hesitating let's not hesitate any longer let's dive right in to way of the warrior so this issue opens with a large two panel spread here um and one is a I mean, both of the art, the art in this is fantastic. One is kind of this uh, harking back to Cheyenne heritage and uh, kind of tapping into that. And then we have Danny flying bright wind. She's flying through the sky and she's gone a long ways. You know, this, this trip is about, uh, you know, it's 
almost 2,000 miles from uh, the, the, the New Mutant School to Colorado where parents, Danny's home and her parents live. And <clears throat> it would take a plane, you know, a couple hours to make that flight, you know, maybe four hours, half a day or something. It's taken Danny a really long time. She's flying bright wind, and so not only is it taking a long time, but it's really cold, and she's tired, and she's stiff, and, you know, if you've ever ridden a horse, you know that it's not exactly the most comfortable thing uh, to do, and so imagine being on a horse for extended lengths of time, um, and, and you know, she's... Con- thinking to herself. She's not really complaining out loud. She's thinking to herself how much pain she's in, how cold she is, and thank God she's cold because it's making the pain bearable. Um, This is all going through her head along with a whole bunch of other things. Like she's thinking about how she got to be a Valkyrie. She's thinking about um, how does that you know, that's Whiteman's totems. She's a Cheyenne. And then in each of these things she's thinking about, she's projecting because she's exhausted. So she projects an image of, uh, I guess it looks like a Valkyrie, and then she projects an image of warriors, uh, Cheyenne warriors running across the sky, and then she projects herself as a, in her new mutant's garb. Uh, and, and she's thinking, you know, where does she belong? Is she, you know, she's a Valkyrie, uh, you know, a, a shield maiden to all, all Father Odin, or is she a Cheyenne, or is she a mutant, an outcast? You know, where does she exactly fit? And she just doesn't really seem to know. And she's certainly very uncertain of herself. And she's starting to worry because she's pulling, these powers are just kind of manifesting on their own. She's exhausted. She knows she's exhausted. Um, she, you know, but at, at the end of the day, she doesn't know who the real her is. And she figures that she's just kind of floating, disconnected from everything. And, you know, she doesn't really know what to do. She wishes her grandfather was still around. And he could kind of help her with the spiritual world and help her figure out... um what to do. And in the midst of all this thinking, there's a rock outcropping. It shuts up through the clouds. She hasn't been able to see the ground for quite a while because there's just clouds everywhere. She can't see the stars. She's just in, in this bank of clouds. Um, and Bright Wind, as soon as they see this hunk of rock lands and, and she's able to get down and it, it does. It's very painful for her. Um, because she's been on the horse all day. Um, and she realizes uh at this point that as she looks off this vista and the clouds begin to clear and and the sun begins to rise that she is in the Rocky Mountains that Bright Star has done exactly what she wasn't sure she'd be able to do Bright Star brought her home she was lost, she couldn't find her way but Bright Star did on his own Um, and like it's an interesting setup here because uh, Brightwind finds her home, right? Brings her to her home, brings her to her family, brings her to her past. And, and she was not able to do that herself. In fact, she's been talking, thinking to herself these last two pages about how she's not sure where she fits in and doesn't know where she belongs. And Brightwind but it does appear that maybe Brightwind does know where she belongs and therefore has brought her home. Um, now, she wanted to go home. Yes, that's true. But it is fairly interesting that the horse brought her here. She was unable to guide herself due to the weather. It's a little bit... It's it's interesting. I like the... I like the... I like the analogy. Anyways, it's not long. They finally get home, but... Uh, Brightwind, you know, she remounts, they fly back, uh, they fly to Danny's parents' ranch, and as they land, the storm has started. It's snowing, and it's snowing a ton. It's it's pretty near blizzard conditions. She gets off Brightwind, she goes to the house, and she's bowled over by her parents who come barging out the door, and they're surprised to see their daughter, and there's a very quick, warm reunion. They're both excited to see her, and they give her hugs and tell they each 
express how much they missed each other, but they own this ranch, and they got to go check on things because the weather is going to be bad for the next for, for quite a while, and so they need to get out there now before it gets too bad and they can't leave, uh, so they've got to hurry, and they, and they hop into their vehicle, and they drive off, and Danny, she can't think help but to think that the last time her parents hurried into a vehicle and drove off, they were turned into the demon bear. And they tell her to take, you know, that, you know, she tells them, hey, I've got a long story. When you, when we got a chance, I need to talk to you. And they want to know because she's on a winged horse, which is kind of weird. Imagine that if you had a daughter that flew home and landed in your front yard. And as you came out the door, you noticed that she had this winged horse that she had flown into your house on. Uh, that would be quite odd. So you'd want an explanation too. So they hurry off and she puts Brightwind into the barn. And she's thinking, I mean, she's talking to Brightwind and herself, and she's talking about everything. And, uh, you know, she's got a lot. She's thinking about how she fled uh, and failed Bright. how she, you know, when her parents had been taken, turned into the demon bear, and she had been taken in by the Roberts. And her powers manifested there, and she fled, right? And her grandfather helped her and he was killed and she couldn't help him and then she went to the new mutants and when they needed her most and as a team leader she was one of the co-leaders and you know she she had found a way to snap herself out of her with the help of Thor she was able to snap herself out of the funk she was in but she was unable to help the new mutants and she let them be taken to handed over to the white queen their enemy and she didn't do any like she she argued but not hard enough she feels as though maybe she's failed and what she's beginning to do is link up all these incidents where she has run right and if we remember back in issue number one even she fled when she was off when she was supposed to go through the danger room she was the last one that had to go through the danger room and she ran away later she went back through it and and she confronted those fears but what she's pulling out and what she seems to be noticing about herself is that she is not one for conflict and given the opportunity to flee it she does and she's starting to see that as a failure well she you know is getting bright ones straightened down straightening out a stall for him and in doing so she kind of just sits down and uh ends up falling asleep now the next morning she awakens uh and she's in bed and she's wearing her mom's nightgown so her parents must have come home uh, and dressed, changed her, and put her to bed. Um, and she realizes uh, she, you know, she, her room is not her room anymore, right? Her parents have turned it into an office. She's got a bed in there. It's kind of like a guest room. It's not really her home anymore. It's not really her place. Not like it used to be. And so she goes down and she's calling for her parents. Um, there's a big, big fire. Uh, and she's just draped a big blanket around herself. And then she goes to the laundry room to check on clothes because she didn't bring anything with her. She's just had the clothes she was wearing and she goes to the laundry room and oh my gosh, her clothes reek. They're terrible. They smell <laughs> so bad. And so she, you know, thinks, hey, time for a shower. And so she does do that. She gets herself ready and hops in the shower and she's, you know, washing herself and she's thinking about what it was like you know, because her hair, it's long and it's thick and it takes a long time to dry. It's a pain in the ass. If any of you are girls or have a girlfriend or have a relative with really thick hair, thick long hair, uh, you will sympathize with Danny here. Um, my girlfriend's takes a long time to dry if she lets it air dry and a lot of work to blow dry it just to get it all dry. She's got a lot of hair on her head and it's thick. So, um, I can kind of sympathize with Danny, and she's thinking about what it would be like if she had short hair. So she's just being a teenage girl. She's just being a teenage girl in this moment. And a lot of this issue is Danny being a teenage girl, and it's kind of kind of cool to see her because usually she's projected, presented as a has the leader. She's got it together, right? She doesn't always have a lot of moments like this where she gets to just be a teenager. And so here she is, and she uses her powers to manifest what she'd look like with short hair, and she chuckles to herself. Now, as she's showering, her mom prop 
pops her head in the door and she tells him, hey, we're, tells her, we're leaving. We got to go do some stuff. Uh, this weather's broke and we, we've got a chance to get out and we don't know when the next time we'll be able to do this is, so we got to go now. And so we're heading out, but I'm leaving you some money and our credit card, so go buy yourself some clothes because uh, the stuff you're wearing is not uh, not not worth keeping. You need you need some new clothes. And so they say their buys and uh, Danny's going to get herself ready and head into town and go shopping at the mall. So later, a little later, on the flatlands north of Denver, uh, we find Danny Moonstar and she's at the mall. Uh, the Arcadia Mall, um, to be exact. And what we've learned from her narration, her thought bubbles as she's walking the mall, is that this is all new. Well, recent new. She wasn't there when she was a kid. This used to be all prairie. It had been prairie before. And since she's been gone, they built this massive mall. And and she's thinking to herself, and she she laments the loss of the land, but does admit she loves the stores. And there's more choices, which equals more confusion. And this all leads into her thinking eventually about the White Queen and how if she had just gone with the White Queen, she wouldn't have these problems. She'd be, all those choices would be made for her. She'd be, as she put it, the good little reservation Indian. And like, that's where it just can't. She can't just give herself to the White Queen. She's not going to do it because that's like, this this idea of being this trophy or this like you know this this image of an indian or the presentation of an indian for her is something she will not stomach it was something that was really hard for her to deal with when xavier offered his help to her right she wasn't sure she wanted to join the new mutants in the first place because she didn't trust white people and what she sees from the White Queen is what she believed kind of happened with the white people in, in, in America, in America, taking over the land and, and putting res- Native Americans on reservations. Um, the land and, and people are just just commodities to be bought and sold. And, and that's exactly how the Hellfire Clubs treats mutants. And so... <clears throat> This is the stuff she's thinking about. She's not sure maybe she doesn't have the right to choose for the new mutants because she does feel bad that she left them, but at the same time, the White Queen might be able to help them. And is it her right to tell to deny them that help if they can be helped? Should she be able to deny their happiness? She doesn't know. She, she wonders if her recovery from what had happened was a fluke. You know, and all this is weighing on her, and she doesn't know what to do with it. Well... Amongst all of this melodrama that she has just immersed herself in, that she's dealing with, we we have her shopping. And she puts on this yellow, little yellow top and this really, 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 really short black skirt. And she thinks to herself, this will stop a few hearts. My folks, my teacher, my friends, my own, sold. Like, she is absolutely immersed in commercialism here. And it's you know, I, I enjoy this. Like I, like I said earlier, I really enjoy seeing Daniel Moonstar as a teenager, as a as a person, as as something other than a mutant, as a, something other than a Valkyrie, as something other than the leader of the New Mutants. Um, she's a hu- she's being humanized here in a way that we haven't seen in a while. She's had so much responsibility on her shoulders. I mean, we've seen her struggle with the role of leadership, but we've not seen this kind of her personal you know inner interpersonal or this personal view of her life we haven't seen her be a kid and so she shops for some more clothes and as she's heading out the door kind of looking around on her way through the mall uh someone yells her yells at her yo paposa and she turns and of course she knows who it is she knew who it was before uh, she even looked. 
and she says hello to him. This is Pat, Pat Roberts. This is the son of the family that she had been staying with after her parents had disappeared. And she says it's been a long time, and he tells her it's not been long enough. And they get into a scuffle. He does not like her. He does not like her at all. And he just continues to push her, push her, and, you know, saying stuff about how they were going to buy the, his family was going to buy the ranch, but then they showed up, and it's too bad the deal fell through. And she just, you know, was calling him a liar, and the, you know, the, the ranch was never for sale. And he calls her a, the, you know, calls her a squaw and says she has spunk. And he slams her head, he pushes her head into the wall and smashes it against the wall. And he's thinking about punching her. Like, he's just so full of rage. Like, I, I don't like Pat. Like, I don't care what happened to him. He's physically assaulting a woman here. And I really don't have space for that in my life. Like, this is probably the part of the story that just, like, it makes me care. I don't care enough about Pat Roberts after this. I don't care what happened to him. I don't care. Like, he physically assaulted a woman. And, like, that's just run of the mill. And, like, she's left thinking that she deserved it. Like, I really have a problem with this this page in particular. This this Pat Roberts is a piece of shit. Like, picking on a woman, like, I just, it, it makes me sick. Like, I, I have seen racism. I know it exists. I'm from South Dakota. That's where I grew up. Um, there's a large population of Native Americans there. Um, we have a large number of res- reservations. Um, some of the poorest counties in the United States are in South Dakota, and those are happen to be reservations. Um, there's a lot of South Dakotans that are very, very openly racist against towards Native Americans. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and split hairs and talk about the, the racial divide and blah, whatever. It's the way it is. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Maybe you do have too. Maybe you have a different point of view. Whatever. I've seen it. I don't like it. And it's being brought out here. And basically, we're getting... A lot of, well, it's understandable. I did this thing to him when he was a kid, and I never gave him a chance. And so if he wants to physically beat me up and hurt me, that's okay. And if he wants to um, be a racist son of a bitch, that's okay too, because I did these things to him when he was a kid. Um, I don't know if I need to go in this or not, but like at some point in your life, like you have to let the past go. And like that's sometimes easier than said than done but like as a person as a human being something that happened 10 years ago shouldn't be ruling your life today and if it is that's on you it has nothing to do with anyone else around you that's on you um and that's how i feel about this page you know and and that feeling i might let go and i could it would be more understandable if he wasn't physically assaulting this you know a woman Right, like it's it's just really gross. Um, he then pulls her, a box from her arm because she's been shopping, remember? And he pulls this dress out and he's like talks about how she doesn't deserve to wear it. It's just really gross. It's just really gross. And in this moment, like she's getting worked up. Obviously, she's getting angry. She's scared. She's you know doesn't want to hurt him. She doesn't you know you know she doesn't know exactly what to do. She's wants out of the situation. I'm sure there's just a lot of anxiety, obviously, from the situation. And she pulls this image, you know, she sees the image of death above <clears throat> above Pat, you know, behind Pat. And she realizes it's the Valkyrie powers. Her, You know, she's she's seeing death, embracing Pat. And uh, it, it's in this cowboy garb because when she sees an image of death, it's it's projected in a way that the the person that it's coming to would see it. Um, and so he sees it, would see death as a cowboy, a gunfighter. And she pushes him away, says, get away, and she runs. She just flees. So yet again, we have an instance where Danny runs when she should do something different, or at least that's in her thought. Her thoughts. She's going to bemoan this to herself that she should intervene. She should do something to try to help Pat because she saw the image of death. But she flees. She runs, and you know he physically assaulted her, and he wasn't really 
being at all kind. Like, there's no helping somebody like that. He's going to hurt you. Like, the chances are he's going to hurt you before you would ever be able to help him. And so her running from him, I don't have a problem with. Like, it's pretty gross because he's not the only guy there. There's two, he's got some friends with him too. And they've been kind of like saying, oh, I shouldn't do this, blah, 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 let her go, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's like five of them, you know, and he's not going to let it go. They want him to. So, I mean, at this point, like, they're done with it. He chases her. He chases her through the mall. He chases her out into the storm. He stands in the door. He's yelling about how terrible she is. You know, and how, how he's threatened, he basically is threatening her. He's like, there's a, lot, a lot of, there's a lot of lonely roads in your high country, engine. I know them as well as you do. And if a body don't walk really careful, she could have herself a nasty accident, maybe even a fatal one. So he's, he's talking about killing her um, and that it would be really easy to do because there's, you know, the roads are so desolate and isolated and treacherous. It'd be really easy to kill her and nobody would even know. So he's he's threatening her. Like, he's a real tough guy. Like, I, I really fucking hate Pat. Oh, man, I swore. I really don't like Pat. Um, I'm not going to edit that out. Uh, I really don't like him, and I really don't like the story. And if this was the intent, like, you've done a really good job here, Chris Claremont. Um, I really don't like this part of the story. Um, anyways, Danny, she watches from on, up top, Brightwin, on top of the mall as Pat, climbs into his pickup and drives away and he almost gets into an accident as he leaves the parking lot and we the readers you know Danny's hopeful that he doesn't get hurt she doesn't want him to get injured she knows that she's sitting there watching him that him pulling into this intersection that could be it this could be the point where he dies because she's seen death right and he screeches to a stop beep honks the horn whatever inside the cab unbeknownst to Danny we see something a six pack he's drinking so he's drinking and driving, and we see a six-pack uh, with minus one of the beers. It falls, and there's another package that falls. It's insulin, and it hits the ground, and the beer falls on top of it, and we see that the insulin vials are broken, and they're leaking onto his floorboards. So what is going on? We know that Pat Roberts is an, uh, a diabetic. So... The next day, it's dawn, and Danny's working in the barn, uh, mucking out the stalls. She's talked to her parents. Her parents are gone again, and they're stuck. They're stuck um, after the storm, and the roads haven't been cleared, and they can't get back to the ranch. Um, So it'll be a couple days before they get back. Uh, And um, so this is basically Danny's got to deal with her life. And everything that's going on, on her own. Like, her parents aren't there to help, and her friends aren't there, and she's got to just figure this out on her own. And this is really just a journey of self-discovery for Danny. And really, to accomplish that, I think Claremont was right in, in having this be something Danny had to do alone. And so, uh, she's talking to Brightwind. She's telling Brightwind... Uh, kind of about just about her past, you know. Um, she talks about how <clears throat> her and Pat had always been friends, you know, and uh, he had taught her how to ride and sh- or to shoot and uh, a rifle and a bow, and she had taught him to ride, and that she had been with his family for like a week before her powers manifested and she was scared and lonely and she felt just stuck and trapped um and then there was one sunday dinner where she uh he her and pat were goofing around joking um and she pulled from him in deep 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 down inside him um something that he's extremely was extremely ashamed of um his greatest fear and his greatest desire and he, she presented it for all to see and she should have stayed and dealt with the fallout from that but she didn't she ran she fled and she ran into the hills and pat never got closure never got to um you know to punch her or whatever little kids would do in a situation like that um and so he's been carrying around that hurt and that shame 
since that happened. And that's why he was so mad. Well, I still don't think that him assaulting a woman, like there's nothing that makes that okay, in my opinion. Anyways, as she's talking to Bright Wind about this, there's a emergency call over the the walkie and uh the cb it's a cd cb radio and she she answers the call but it's it's not really coming to through very clear and she doesn't know if she's being received but what she does figure out is that the transmission is from pat his truck has slid off the road there's been a bad accident and he's not in good shape and he needs help well no one's answering the call. And even if they could, there'd be no way an ambulance could get out there. So she takes Brightwind and she grabs some first aid and they fly. You know, she rides Brightwind or flies Brightwind to the car accident in the hills. And sure enough, his car is slid off the road. The windows are busted out. Snow's blowing in. He's cut to ribbons from the broken glass. In his hand, he's, gra- he's holding in a death grip that red dress that Danny had bought that he'd stripped from her. Um, and... Uh, sure enough, on the floorboards, there's the broken insulin. She sees that, and there's booze all over the place. He streaks of booze. Um, and what she realizes is that in this storm, she's not going to be able to have Brightwind hold him, uh, Pat Roberts, on top of Brightwind and, and get to safety. So she's going to do what she can do here, and that's that's drag him into a cave and send Brightwind to back to the ranch and when her parents get there to have them come you know when the weather clears and so they go into the cave and she starts a fire and gets him laid out and bundled and and bandages his wounds um he's not in very good shape so with pat in the cave uh bandaged and and resting uh danny goes to work on making sure the fire has, you know, there's plenty of wood for fire and making plans for the next day. In the morning, she's going to try to call on the CB to get help. Uh, And throughout this whole moment in the cave, Pat is in and out of consciousness. Sometimes he's sitting up in the bedroll that she's made him. Um, Other times we see spirit forms of him where he uh, appears to be swinging at her with an axe. Um, we in during that moment we see what she believes is an image that she's pulled from Pat, right? Him, his desire to kill her, and then the very next moment we see his desire that he loved her, that he thought that they were going to get married, or it's, you know, he could love her, and so he loves and hates her at the same time, and he doesn't know which, and it's tearing. That's what's tearing him apart, according to uh, what what he tells us here. Now, you know, she wants to make things right. He's pretty much resigned himself to death is what he tells himself tells her and and she throws her hat down and she tells him that she's not going to let him die that she's a hero and that she's going to save him she's fought death before and then there's this huge gaboom right thunder overhead and it makes the ground shake and bits of the cave collapse you know fall from the roof and uh if you've ever been in the West, and maybe other places too, I don't know. I do know that in South Dakota and in the Rockies that there are big thunderstorms, big, uh, sorry, blizzard snowstorms sometimes are accompanied by thunder and lightning. It's it's a weird thing, but it does happen. Um, and so Danny, she makes her way out of the cave, and sh- she confronts the image of death, this, this gunfighter. It's presenting himself in the style that uh, the victim would believe base, basic beliefs of the victim, and Pat he's a fan of the old West. West he loves loves that stuff, and so to him, death appears as a good fighter. And Danny confronts him, and accord, according to Danny, she, man, pistols manifest on her hips, and that's because of her Valkyrie powers. She her powers are giving her the weapons to fight death since she is a Valkyrie and so she engages in, in a duel and pulls her guns and blasts death shooting him dead shooting death dead um, and again we have this representation of death calling calling Danny a squaw right that that she's not a lady she's a squaw and because she's a squaw he's willing to do her harm uh, a lady he wouldn't touch but but a squaw um, which is a really negative, derogatory wo- term to call a Native American woman. Um, 
and we're throwing it around here. This is also written in the 80s. Um, people are less willing to hear that that's not appropriate to, to call a woman. Um, anyways, she's defeated death. Death falls to the ground dead, and Pat is now standing up, and they embrace, right? And she thinks she's going to get a kiss, and he evaporates. He was just an illusion. It was just her... just her powers possibly having manifested uh, him. He's still lying in the bedroll sleeping. So the whole entire conversation she had generated from her deepest desires, it seems. And she may or may not have confronted death um, to fight, fought off the reefer. It's still snowing outside, um, but eventually they do get Pat help and gets him. they do get him to the hospital. Denver Memorial Hospital. It's snowing still. Huge, heavy, wet flakes. It looks as though it's a blizzard. It's really piled up on the ground. But the good news is Danny successfully has gotten Pat to the hospital. And she is waiting outside this room for him. Waiting for word from the doctors. Uh, And as she's sitting there waiting, a Native American sits next to her. Native American woman, an elder. And uh, begins talking to her. We probably realize before Danny even does that this is this is death again, and death is here for Pat. Death claims through the night he slipped even deeper into an irreversible diabetic coma, and death continues telling Danny nothing can be done, his brain's really damaged, and that he won't wake up ever again. And Danny is enraged, you know, yelling, "No, that's a lie." You know, she's fought so hard to save Pat, and she's not willing to let him go. Uh, But before we continue this scene, uh, I do want to talk to somebody a little bit about the use of diabetes throughout this, as a plot element throughout this story. Um, And, you know, where is it right? Where is it wrong? You know, does it work? Uh, So, yeah. All right. So to talk about this issue and specifically the diabetic uh, portions of it um i've asked my sister to join us she's been a diabetic for a while would you like to introduce yourself hello i'm jana and i've had type 1 diabetes for 27 years so thanks for coming on jana um to talk about this i guess the first question i kind of have for you is what is the difference like what is diabetes um well like i said i have type 1 there's type 1 and type 2 So diabetes type 1, my pancreas does not produce insulin at all. So I give insulin injections so that I can get my insulin. And a type 2 generally is someone that is insulin resistant and their body is not able to use the insulin that the body is or the pancreas is producing. So they a lot of times will take pills, they will exercise, control diet, Sometimes they do end up on insulin, but generally speaking, your doctor's first priority is to stop that from happening. Okay, so why, why do we need insulin? What is insulin doing for us? Insulin is keeping your body's blood sugars from becoming too high. Your body needs energy, and it gets that from burning glucose. And too much glucose means your blood sugar is going to be high, so your insulin levels are controlling that so it stays even and you will have energy then that is capable of burning and it keeps it from getting too high because that can be deadly. Right. And the glucose comes from this food we eat. Yes. Carbohydrates mostly. So it can be food and drink typically yes. is where we're getting that. Awesome. Thank you for breaking that down. So in terms of that, how does that fit with... um into the story like what do you think about the use of insulin in the story by Chris Claremont here um I was honestly a bit disappointed um first of all just the fact that they really kind of briefly wave over it they don't specify if he's a type one or a type two um he's a young seemingly healthy adult i would assume he is a type one because he had insulin right so the fact that his insulin broke was an issue for me the fact that 
he like got they were in that cave right. and he was just asleep he was just unconscious and to me he was going into DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis which is extremely high blood sugars and your body's producing ketones which if you have ketones in your body your blood sugar is not going down at all and right it's only going up right it just means that your body is now burning fat because it can't burn the glucose in your body. It can't use that. So it's burning fat cells, and that's very bad for a person. It produces what we call ketones. So we can't get our blood sugars down without insulin. And it's an incredibly dangerous situation. So if he's going into ketoacidosis, then he is generally going to be having seizures, probably wetting his pants, I mean, he would be completely out of it. And you and you described it like it's really hard to even focus on anything. You don't remember stuff. No. Um, I, I mean, mentally, you're just not there. Um, I mean, as a child, our mother would describe me as Jekyll and Hyde because I would go crazy when I'd have high blood sugars or low blood sugars. I have another friend of mine that's a type 1 diabetic as well, and we've kind of swapped stories of what happened when we were high and I know she had a time that she was sitting on the couch kind of zoned out and her husband came home and she was unresponsive so he checked her blood sugar and thankfully was able to treat it and get her out of it but at that time she was so incoherent and out of it she thought she was literally a part of the furniture she thought she was the couch right yeah when we were talking about this earlier I thought that that reminded me of like LSD stories. Yeah. You know, so um let's yeah, let's let's talk about this. This is um so in terms of Pat, the the character here that Danny's pulling his thoughts or his these images from his brain, like if if we give Claremont leeway here and benefit of the doubt, like this is the thing that he's been fixated on all day. So maybe these images are there to be pulled from his mind, but like as far as the ill will towards Danny and being aware that she's even in the cave, you're telling us that's not likely. I don't think they could have come from him. Maybe he was going for something else. I mean, maybe they were coming from her. She's also been thinking about it the entire issue, you know? And... Well, and so here's something that's interesting that's almost a sleight of hand. If I remember at the very beginning of the story, she's coming home on mm-hmm. bright wind and it's freezing and she's exhausted and she's starting to manifest her own thoughts yeah in the sky around her so maybe that's what she's seeing and i think that's very possible maybe this amount of exhaustion sh- terror worry concern for pat her right. guilt for pat her anger towards pat and all this has overwhelmed herself and maybe she's manifesting her thoughts and desires which to me seems more likely than the reverse. I would agree. Because um, I have big problems, as I've talked about already, with his behavior towards her. I don't want to get stuck on that. <laughs> but um, So you said he's a young adult. He's, he's actually, Danny is a new mutant. They're teenagers. So he's, if he's anywhere near her age, he's probably not even old enough to drink. He's probably underage. Then he's actually more likely to be a type 1 diabetic because most often... It manifests when you're a child before the age of 19. Um, it can happen after that, but it's just, I I don't know if I've ever heard stories like around me of children being diagnosed with type 2. Right. It happens, unfortunately, but it's just not as common. Super rare because we're talking about un- super unhealthy, usually typically somebody's obese, um, other health problems. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing that's, I think, interesting, um, something slipped in in and out of my head, Um, but yeah, I would tend to agree. When I saw this, when I first read this, just based on my knowledge of growing up with my sister, Pat, to me, looked like a type 1. That's everything read type 1 to me, not type 2. Another factor would be that he's a white male. Right. Oh, Um, yeah. Well, not necessarily the male part, but, you know, like, it'd be more questionable i guess if she was the one with diabetes because type 2 generally runs very heavily in a native american bloodline right 
Yeah, that's true. Um, so I guess the next scene where we have heavily influenced from the diabetes is the final scene. Death greets Danny at the hospital. Yes. Um, what do you, I know you had some big problems there. Well, I just, it bothered me. Death says he's in insulin shock. Now, if another diabetic tells me I'm going into insulin shock, that means get me some juice, some sugar, because your blood sugar is low. Right, not high. Not high, correct. But that being said, it's not a doctor. Death is it's not like, a doctor. Right, so, <laughs> so I'm a little more willing to let that slide, but it still was very aggravating to me. Right, because if, if, just to clarify... What what Death's telling us is that from what Death's described, his blood sugar should be really low, and that's why he's dying. His blood Correct. sugar, everything we've been told up until this point, his blood sugar is through the roof. Correct. And Which, you I can mean, die from that, too. Absolutely. <laughs> can die from that, too. Um, In fact, I think his blood sugar at this point, if assuming he's a type 1, Assuming that he's probably been drinking prior to the one beer he had, and they said he was driving in his car when he left the mall, and it was the next day when Danny got the call for help. It was, you know, a car accident that's going to put more stress on the body, and then they were in that cave, they said, for I think another day, maybe two. But regardless, that is... Two to three days with no insulin, booze on board, which is filled with carbs. Right. And then the stress on your body, it's going to be insanely high. So I would be surprised if they would have had him survive this. Right. To even have him get to the hospital is unlikely. Oh, yeah. But that's where the, the, the story arc of Danny's story allows her to chase death off. Correct. So it pros- postpones his death till the hospital when she has to make a choice but this has been interesting this is super interesting like it kind of changes some of my preconceived thoughts but in terms of maybe danny's manifesting her own thoughts in the cave instead of pat's um yeah but the thing that makes this all all my series in terms that we're from just from this discussion we're having um, on sound is that if we look at just the story arc in terms of the knowledge of diabetes and the use of it throughout the story, it doesn't seem well completely understood. It seems like somebody who knows somebody who's a diabetic, but right. doesn't know one that doesn't have it themselves. Cause they, so he right. doesn't have the ability to, to necessarily write it accurately. Right. Well, and like I had told you, I I had an issue with even the insulin bottles breaking. Right. You know, those bottles, those are tough. I can't tell you how many times I've dropped one. And in 27 years, I've never had one break. Never. And it just didn't fall far enough. It's still in the packaging. And the beer isn't that heavy to break those bottles. Right, and the floor's got to, you know, maybe it's even, even if it's a super, like an 80s pickup, like they had Pat, like it's just, I don't think it's hard enough. (laughs) I'm sure they've been dropped on cement oh, or yeah. linoleum <laughs> floors or concrete floors in our house when we were kids. So It would be more dangerous if he left that insulin in the vehicle and it froze. Right. Which right. they could have done. They could have, yeah, because it was winter. <laughs> yes. Right, and I, yeah, and I think we've talked too about, like, the chances of his blood sugars, you know, like, even if that's his first beer, like, that would make his blood sugar potentially lower than if he's had 10 beers. But just from the way he engages with Danny throughout that interaction at the mall and the way he's driving out of the mall, to me, that looks like a guy that's had a couple before the one he's drinking in I the car. I would totally agree. Like, and I think that's what they wanted us to think. I Honestly, I think that's what the story's trying to depict. Just I based so on the too. images and what's written. It looks as though he's a man that's drunk probably already, or at least oh, buzzed, yeah. on his way to being drunk. And so he's drinking and, like, he's drunk driving. Not just having a beer and driving, but like absolutely. he's absolutely drunk at this point. <laughs> I totally agree. Cool. Well, yeah, I think that's it. I, it's like this, for me personally, this story, it's was fun because I knew I was going to get to talk to my sister about 
the diabetic angle in the story, which is exciting. But it wasn't done well, which is sad. And then to have Danny in her own story arc, a whole con- issue, just focusing on her, my favorite character, and then have it, like, her, her, I don't know, strengths and her, like, character undermined so much. Yeah. In terms of how how abusive this guy is and how guilty she feels. I would agree. Like, it makes her look so weak, I think, and I'm makes it really hard for me to like this issue. <laughs> but, I don't know. I would agree with you for sure. Yeah. Well, I still, I'm glad that it, this opportunity happened. There are some good other, there's other places where I really do appreciate it, uh, her character in this. Um, yeah. And I'm really glad we got this opportunity. So thank you for coming on and yeah, talking about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. So thanks, you know, Jana, uh, for, for doing that, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Anyways, back to Danny and death. So Danny, you know, she's ready to make her stand again, ready to do battle with death. And death asks, am I so horrible? You cause pain, Danny says. And death replies, and end it. Danny shoots back, you bring misery and grief, and death retorts, and peace. You know, and death begins talking about there's a purpose, you know, that she, you know, there's a pattern to all things, there's, there's a pattern to life, that there's a beginning and there's an end. And death isn't a monster sealing life, you know, but really just an eternal balance in, 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 in what is this pattern of life and death. And it's that there's times that people fight death and they've come unwillingly to death and death in those moments is, is a, a horrible, fierce-looking uh, monster. And in, in other times, death can be extremely gentle and kind when people are, in like in Pat's case. And so Dandy, Dan, Danny, she's, you know, disgusted. And she's like, you want me to stand just aside and let you do this when I have the power to keep you, you know, uh, at bay? Um, never. She won't do that. And uh, death tells her that she's brave, that her courage does her proud, that she's loyal and a, and a true warrior. And a, but, a, but a true warrior and, and a true human being must also realize which battles to wage and which to pass. You know, she might win this battle, keep death away, but in the long run, the war will be lost because she can do, Danny can do nothing to heal Pat's, the damage to Pat's brain. And she just implores Danny to, to let, you know, to let Pat go. And Danny's in tears at this point. I mean, she's been kind of curled into a ball almost, leaning against the wall. She's got no strength left for this fight and almost really no will at this point. And she looks into the room where Pat's with the doctor and, and his two parents. And, and she says, you know, Pat, forgive me, please, goodbye. And we get the sign, you know, this beep, 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 beep beep, and that's in between the two panels, uh, and then below that is a picture of Pat's parents embracing a hug. We, we know Pat's, you know, she's allowed death to take Pat. And, yeah, it's it's a heavy scene, you know, it's a really heavy scene, and, you know, we just talked pretty in-depth about the diabetes and how it's, you know, how is any of this possible? Does it make sense of the story? You know, um, yeah, we got Danny here crying, and asking for forgiveness. You know, and what is that forgiveness about? Is she is she asking forgiveness because she didn't defeat death and didn't prevent his death? You know, uh, Pat's death? Or is she asking forgiveness because she feels guilty for the things that happened when they are children? Was all of this guilt, you know, was she manifesting that in these... Uh, these manifestations that she had in the cave, those uh, images that she thought she pulled from Pat's brain, could those images have been pulled from her brain? Is it possible that Pat was so out of it, so close to death, that there was no way that he even knew Danny was in the room? I mean, the only argument you can make that he was the one she was pulling, in my opinion, that he's the one who, who 
those images from his mind came from him with the axe and and him trying to you know wanting to marry Danny. Uh, the only the only way you can say those came from him is that he'd been fixating, in my opinion, on Danny all day, and uh, was enraged, and and that meant that those those images, those thoughts, were just in his brain. That's what was there. Um, but as my sister suggested, when you have a high blood sugar, those might not be there. Um, so that would have meant that Danny would have been looking for that meant she was fixating on those thoughts even if she did pull them from from pat so either way she's kind of helping to create this um this scene in the cave either through her own desires or her own wants and whether those came from pat or herself because she does manifest images in the clouds when she's flying home remember on bright wind Uh, we talked about that in the first part of this episode um so it's it's debatable. I think this is entirely possible that this is a grief scene that Danny is feeling guilty and playing out this scene in the cave among to herself and really for herself for not involving Pat whatsoever, or she's pulled it from Pat and it's super complicated. But um, either way, uh, I do not I don't care for Pat. I really don't like Pat um, in this story. I, I have tr- trouble with the language used, uh, calling Danny a squaw super disrespectful term uh he's disrespectful towards native americans and like yes that that might be people in south dakota and and colorado and the midwest there's some pretty ardent racist racism towards native americans it's the largest what we would consider a minority group in those regions uh we don't have african americans we don't have other uh lots of hispanics in those areas Higher concentrations of Native Americans exist there. Therefore, they're usually the, typically the, the people that are targeted by racism. Um, and definitely we see those things being used, especially in the 80s. So I, I don't think it's that far off, but he certainly is not endeared to me. You know, He physically assaults her. He calls her a squaw. You know, He says horrible, hurtful, disgusting things to her. And she's left feeling guilty. She's left, you know, the victim that is at fault. I really have a problem with that narrative. Like, a woman who is a victim, but is the reason for the, and is blamed for everything, takes the blame for everything. It is her fault. And that's what we're left with in this story. Yes, she has her part, but Pat is a monster in the scene in the mall. Physically assaulting Danny is just out of line and really, really it makes her look bad in a lot. I guess is what I'm getting at. By the, end, by the end, like I love the conversation with death. I think that's a huge moment of growth, right? The, the realization that just because she can de- beat death, just because she can defeat death in a duel doesn't mean that she has the power to save everyone. Right, like that's an amazing realization. It's such a cool moment for this character. But this this amazing moment, in my opinion, is colored by what has happened throughout this issue with Pat. This large amount of guilt, the large amount of victimization that she suffers, and then the forgiveness, or the the basically not even forgiving, but just like accepting. Oh, it is my fault. I'm the woman, and I did these things, and now I'm I'm a bad person and that makes him a victim and he had no wrong in any of this and like just absolutely cleansed of his wrongdoing even though he's physically assaulted a woman even though he's extremely racist even though he's belittling her and just humiliating her and like how far would that have gone you know like just absolutely disgusting it really makes me just cringe Right, and like I just play that tape through, and you really see how far that can go, and and you know this is only going to be made worse as he she goes home and and you know goes to her parents. They're finally home, right? She she's just upset and she collapses in their arms, crying. Um, you know, and it just uh, it's like she's Native American. She. She's a, in most often case in most cases she's a proud native american and like she allows him to 
take her race and use it as a weapon against her, and she has, like, no problem that he's doing that. Like, it's just, like, when we first met Danny, she is, like, the white devil. That's what she's talking about, right? And, like, she hates Xavier. And it just seems like such a huge departure from her character. But there are these glorious moments in this issue where she is definitely, like, her character grows, but, like, the story arc that it's placed in this this one shot you know I think it's one of the reasons I struggle with this issue is because I don't like the way she accepts the blame and is mistreated so poorly by by Pat right and we do get this little wrap up her parents embrace her you know they tell her they're sorry they've, they've heard um, and she wanted to save him so badly and they kind of reiterate you know, her her mom says, you know, some battles aren't meant to be won, only fought. You know, all things have their end. They're really reiterating what death, you know, she's really just reiterating what death has told Danny. And her dad's probably got the best line uh, of anyone um, in this issue, you know, and, and like, he he brings some light to this and and i think you know this this last panel is really good like danny's huddled they're they're embracing her in a hug um she's she's got pat's red shirt you know she's she's saved it um and she's just you know irate she's just irate and uh we we see her, her parents embracing her as she's you know kind of collapsed into their arms and they're talking to her, and there's this this fire. We we get this shot of a fire, and it's like they're shedding the light on on this dark, hurtful situation. And that's what they're doing, you know. Um, but the imagery shows us that as well. Um, Pat, you know, and this is what her father says. I should have just said that, but let's let's go back to what he said. Quote: Pat was twisted. You helped him make it straight and true as your own. Therein, daughter, lies your victory. Be comforted in that. End quote. You know, really, her dad points out, hey, Pat was messed up. You know, like, he's a, a disaster. And, like, you helped him. You helped him. And that's that's the victory. You know, and he leaves it at that. And, and I like their strengths. And they don't, you know, again, though, like, I don't know. There's just this 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 issue for me operates in this in this realm of if you're almost as like Danny needs to know her place and that's that's what's presented kind of and apparently she seems to and, and that just really troubles me. It just really really troubles me, and and maybe that's because um, you know I, there's millions of reasons. Maybe people don't realize didn't realize. Um, how ardently and how much racism uh, occurs in the, in the Midwest. Uh, maybe people just aren't aware or weren't aware at the time that, you know, how how hateful and ugly people in these areas can be. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I, I, I It just baffles me. Like, cause this is a moment for Danny, I think, to really have herself strengthened in this moment and it just feels like her character's undercut time and time again she does have these moments of uh, awesome character development but like these two moments where where she could really stand up and say hey i'm a proud native american woman and i won't be treated like this by a man and won't accept being treated this way by a man um in terms of my race or you know physical aggression like she fails to like stand up to that and honestly I don't really care that there's this uh that they were children together I don't really care that you know that they had a past together because uh I think women that are dating or or are married that are assaulted like that's not okay you know like they have a past you know with those with those men that assault them and that's that's not okay like that is not okay it's never okay and that's where i really struggle it just makes me sick uh as i already said and i'm just re you know beating this horse to death and so i think it's time for me to move on but yeah this is issue 
41 and uh i the way of the warrior and uh yeah it's got some great character development like i said but it's got some huge problems in my opinion and it it really uh is kind of a letdown you know when i when i get a one shot issue with danny moonstar my favorite character and it's you know done like this it it does make me feel kind of bad so for some people i know they talk pretty highly of this issue and i can see why because there's a neat like story arc here an interesting story especially with danny and death um i think it's really a very interesting uh interesting um story we've got put forth uh but due to these elements these few elements uh really the, the whole pat thing i really don't like it really don't like it uh but I guess each their own. Uh, and that's just food for thought. Maybe you disagree with me. And if you do, hey, no problem. You know, shoot me, shoot me a line, uh, email, uh, Facebook, whatever. And just kind of let me know what you think. Um, we can discuss it. And, maybe, you know, if I get some feedback, I, I can talk, it on, talk about it on the next, next episode, uh, which I am planning on doing. Uh, so, yeah. Anyways, episode 42 are... Our, our team, the New Mutants, will be back together again, and utmost in their mind is getting even. So, uh, yeah, tune in next week for episode issue 42. James Explores the New Mutants is recorded in Des Moines, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore the New Mutant via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. A really cool way to reach the podcast is by using uh, Anchor's messenger service. It allows you to record minute-long messages that are sent directly to me. I can then embed those directly into the episode. So if you've got questions, comments, anything you want to say, that might be episode relevant, please don't hesitate. Use this recording service and, and I'll do my best to, to address or comment on those questions. Uh, it's a really great way uh, to get a hold of me and I think it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, until next week, keep reading those comics. <laughs>